Well, it is great to be with you this morning as we worship together and pray together and dive into God's Word together. It's also exciting to be able to do that without fear, right? Without fear of someone busting in here and saying, oh, there's Christians studying the Bible and carrying us off um, like there are in many countries where people have to actually hide their study of the Scriptures. We don't want to take that freedom for granted this morning, and so I just want to have a prayer this Memorial Day to thank those who have fought for, for generations who died so that we can have the kind of freedom we're participating in today. So let's pray and just thank God for them. Father, we just thank you for your reminder that the ultimate sacrifice is giving your life for someone else. And Father, the sacrifice of many of our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers, mothers, grandmothers who served, who battled and who fought so that we could experience freedom. A reminder of the ultimate battle you fought on the cross, that we could have freedom and that we would know you because of you giving your life for us. We thank you for all that's gone before us. We thank you for the freedom we have in, in this country as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today as we study the Bible, I want you to uh, imagine with me that the back exit door is Capernaum, Jesus' home ministry center, on one side of the Sea of Galilee. All of you are in the middle of the ocean. You're in the middle of the sea, so you are the water here tonight. And everything about this stage is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. This is the Decapolis. And Jesus is going to leave the ministry center Capernaum with his disciples, fight an incredible storm we heard about last week, and ultimately land here on the Decapolis. As you do that, you need to know a few things about the Decapolis. Far, 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 far away from Capernaum, way, way back is a whole series of, of tombs and caves here. But also, this is an area where Tiberius rules. Tiberius Augustus, the Caesar. He was known as the son of divine Augustus. And as the son of divine Augustus, another name for him was the son of the divine Tiberius the Son of God. Here in the Decapolis, the Son of God was Tiberius. He was the Caesar during Jesus' ministry time. Here in this area, he had legions that he would send out to expand the rule of Rome. And the legions had names. One legion that ruled in this area of Decapolis, the 10th legion, was called Fratensis. If you look at the symbol of the Ten Census, you'll see a pig at the top. The swine was the symbol of this legion. The Romans had a gospel. In fact, they used the word good news or gospel because when the Romans came in town, so came the gospel and good news. The Roma Paxa, where they would have roads for you, clean water for you. They would protect you on your travels as you did business from town to town. So here in the Decapolis, we have a son of God, we have a kingdom, we have legions, we have pigs. And there's a particular area here I want to make note of. They mention in the Bible in Luke 8 today, a polis. A polis is a very specific type of city. It's an independent city that is in this area on the Sea of Galilee. And you'll notice here that we've found remains, archaeologists have, of this particular polis outpost right near the Decapolis, a gigantic Greek-Roman city just outside the Sea of Galilee. There's another note that here in this area is one of the few areas that there's a cliff. That is a cliff that goes directly down into the water. 
This is the water out here. And there's a cliff that leads directly. It's the only one on the entire Sea of Galilee that goes directly into the water. And here in Decapolis, way, way, way back, far, far, far removed from Capernaum, is a cave, a tomb. And in this cave and tomb is a man crying out for help. He's been chained up and he's broken his chains. He's removed his clothes. He's been in bondage to evil forces and to the devil for many, many, many years. And he cries out from that cave, Will someone help me? Will someone rescue me? And no one has responded to those cries. And the last person that would ever respond or come to this place would be somebody from the west side. Somebody on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. This was the enemy territory. This is where another God and another power reigned. You got taught your whole life, stay away from the Decapolis. And yet Jesus puts his disciples into a boat and takes them here because he hears the voice of one man crying out in a tomb far, far away, will someone hear my need and come and find me? If you look at how the Bible is outlined leading up to this passage, both in Mark, which it gives us account, and Luke, there's a theme here. First, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus explains how to plunder Satan. He had cast out some, some devils, and they said, well, I, I know why he cast out devils, because he has the devil, Beelzebub. Jesus says, no, the devil doesn't cast out the devil. He says, but let me tell you how you plunder Satan. If you want to plunder somebody's house, take what belongs to them. You first need to bind, tie up the strong man of the house, and once you've tied up the strong man, you can plunder his assets. Keep that in mind, because then, Jesus, having just told that story, hearing the cry of one of Satan's assets that have been in bondage in a cave, he then takes his disciples in the next chapter, both Mark and Luke, and he rebukes a satanic storm. This wasn't just any storm. The word rebuke used, many commentators believe, is the same word used when he rebukes the devil. This wasn't just a storm, it was a satanic storm of Satan saying, Jesus coming over here to take my property, to plunder what is mine. And so he throws everything he can, go home Jesus, stay away, don't come here, you're not welcome. And Jesus rebukes the storm. I'm coming into your land, I'm coming into your territory, I'm going to bind up the strong man, and I'm going to plunder what you think is yours, it's going to be mine. And now here in Luke 8... He's come on land. The boat has pulled up. And he's making his way to respond to the voice of that young man who's been crying out to him. And with that, we're going to look at three penetrating questions. Are you and I willing to hear the cries, the spiritual longings of those who believe differently from us, live differently from us, Are we willing to see our lives as strategically placed to reach people with spiritual longings? Our first question. If not you, who? Who's going to reach your friends, people in your vocation, people who have your passions? If not you, who? Who's going to follow Jesus 
to this location, to this place, people who live here. Notice it says, then they, the disciples and Jesus, sailed across the Sea of Galilee to the country of the Gerardines, which is opposite, the opposite side of the world of the sea as Galilee. But notice as they pull up on shore, they sailed over, but only he gets out of the boat. Jesus got them all the way here, but they're like, no, 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 no. Grandma told me you don't step into the Decapolis. My rabbi told me you don't go to that place. And so Jesus steps out of the boat. The rest of them are still hanging out in the boat. As Jesus steps out, this man, deep in this cave, comes running out. And he is a man in need. There, they met him, a certain man from the city, the city of Decapolis, who had demons for a long time. He has been tortured and tormented for a long, long time. And worse, he wore no clothes. I don't know if it's worse. He wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house. He actually lived in the tombs. So Jesus traveled from Capernaum over to this area called Hippos, or modern-day Curus. In this area, they've actually found caves and tombs, and they've actually built a church here to commemorate the very location that Jesus delivered this young man. Now, everything about this experience says, go away, kosher Jewish young man, Peter, James, and John. They're not stepping off the boat because, number one, he's touched a tomb, making them ceremonially unclean. Number two, he's controlled by evil forces, demons. I think I'll stay on the boat. He's naked. They're going to run around with a naked man. Everything about this experience in the Tiberius Son of God reign here is antithesis to how they grew up in their religious upbringing. Only Jesus stepped out of the boat. So here's the question. Do you and I, when we think of our friends, people we meet up with and work with, people who live in our neighborhoods and our coworkers, whether they know to cry out to God or not, do we have compassion for people far from God? are willing to step out of our comfort zone to engage and to converse and to build friendships with people who differ from us politically or spiritually? Do we have compassion toward them or do we kind of get annoyed by them? That's the problem with the world. It's atheists. That's the problem with the world, people who believe that way. Are we drawn to bring light into darkness? It's amazing how often I'm annoyed by people rather than have compassion for people. Mr. Quinn and I were out this week and and we were getting him some sweet tea from Chick-fil-A, which he loves. And so I got him some Chick-fil-A and and he sucked it all down (laughs) as I dropped off my dry cleaning and he suddenly wanted more. And we've been working on his ability to be patient, but the minute he wanted more, the clock started. Before he's going to yell, scream, and cry out. So I pull back into Chick-fil-A and oh my goodness, there's four people, six deep rather, in line in the drive-thru. He won't make it. I look inside Chick-fil-A and it is packed full. And Quinn doesn't like the sensory of that many people around. If I, if I bring him in, he's going to be just be wailing. So I have two bad options. Three, because the timer is ticking. So I go in quickly. Keeping my eye you know, on Quinn, I, I come in, uh, and there's a guy in front of me trying to get his sweet tea done. As soon as he gets his sweet tea filled, I immediately say, lid's already off, I just, no more ice, just quick, fill up sweet tea, please. 
fills it up. I make my way out the door. Somebody's coming in. I'm sorry, let you go out. I step out. The guy who had gotten his drink filled before me steps behind me. He's like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you sure are a pushy duck, aren't you? He did not call me a duck, by the way. And I am suddenly angry. Of all the things I'm juggling, all the things you understand, but I had enough calm in the midst of that being called that. I said, sir, I'm sorry. I did not mean to be pushy. I'm trying to just get my autistic son a drink. And here's his reaction. I even had enough calm to say, sir, seriously, if I need to apologize, I will. I really did not mean to be rude. I'm just trying to get my son a drink. Whatever. Walks off. For the next half hour in the car, I can feel anger welling up within me. And I say, you know, God, I need help. I need help. Help me to see him the way he didn't see me. I don't know what his day was like. I can certainly see how he observed me being urgent because I was very urgent. Help me to see him as a person in need, not as a person I'm just irritated with. Heard a story this week from a friend. He's got a guy he's mentoring who's 27. He's trying to make it big in golf. So he comes down here, three and a half hour drive to play with some very strong golfers here in Cincinnati, many of which are not Christians. And so he's really hoping to, to leverage his golf skills to build relationships, to use that to be a light for Christ. The guys he plays golf with are not necessarily Christians. There's a lot of off-color jokes. There's a lot of F-bombs dropped on the, on the course during the day. And one of the guys said, hey, listen, I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. Would you want to come down on Thursdays and play as well? Which is another three-and-a-half-hour drive one way. He said, this is what God's calling me to do. And that's exactly what I did is I drove down twice a week because I don't want to be around people who are better than me professionally, but I want God to use me to build relationships. He's hearing the cry of the man who doesn't even know to say he needs God by responding. If not you, then who? Who will follow? Who will initiate? Who will bring up the conversation to people in your life, in your arena, in your neighborhood who need God. If not you who, if not here, then where? Where is God calling you to work? Where is God calling you to bring his message? Where is God calling you to be light? If not here, then where? You see, everybody the Bible says spends eternity somewhere. And God has placed us strategically in a particular place, a particular job, here coming to this church so that we can be that voice, equip ourselves to teach other people and invite other people into relationship. See, it was there in this spot in Decapolis that God was working. There met him, Jesus, a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And when he saw Jesus, the man cried out, fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. The irony here is hilarious. Here's a demonic power that's been abusing and tormenting and destroying this young man's dignity and his life. And now when Jesus steps into the ring, this demon that's been tormenting someone for years, a long time, turns to Jesus and says, please, sir, please don't torment me. I'm just a a fragile old evil spirit just trying to get by. 
The same evil spirit that's tormenting doesn't want to be tormented. And as you're going to see in a moment, the devil's trying to get power over Jesus by saying, I know who you are. You're Jesus, the son of the most high God. You're living in the realm of the least high God, Tiberius, the son of God. I know who you are, and I'm going to call power over you by recognizing your name. Jesus turns the tables on him. Jesus says, you think you have power over me by calling my name? No. He commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man... For it had often seized him. The the poor man had been kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he had broken the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, Now what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. Now notice that Jesus asked their name. Because the name was to recognize my authority over you. Give me your name. Because I want you to know, I, the Son of God, Jesus, have authority over you and I'm casting you out. And by placing them into their proper authority, we're going to see that Satan has a certain level of rope God gives him to cause havoc on earth. But he has to operate under the framework that God allows him for. So Satan has to ask permission, Satan's minions have to ask permission even to take a walk. We go on to the passage, look what they say. So Jesus casts them out. Now a herd of swine, oh swine, here in the area of Tiberias, with the symbol of his legion being the swine, is a legion of demons who want to go into the swine. A herd of many swine were feeding there in the mountain, right on the cliff into the Sea of Galilee. So the demons begged him that he, Jesus, would permit them to enter the pigs, and he permitted them. And here we see that the devil and evil forces can only do what God permits. And they're thinking, how do we keep this Jewish rabbi from doing any more damage to us? Let's go into something unclean like a pig. Then we'll escape Jesus' power. But if Satan, like this passage says, really needs permission to take a walk, then if you feel like Satan's been walking all over you, I've had a real challenging last 45 days. Some have been circumstantial, some have been spiritual. And I feel like in many ways Satan's been walking all over me. But since the passage says that Satan needs permission to take a walk, then since Satan needs permission to take a walk, you might have given him permission if he's walking all over you. You may not be resisting the devil by staying close to Jesus. You may be what the Bible calls, you have a snare, an agreement you've made with an idol, an agreement you've made with a habit, a stronghold. And those soul ties and strongholds and strangleholds become mechanisms by which you've given permission for evil forces to come in and to begin to use a habit, use an attitude, use some bitterness to begin to get victory in your life. So I've been reflecting on this for the last 60 days. I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's only one tool God's given us. He says every day you need to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Stand by putting on the armor. Stand, knowing you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Having done everything you know to do, stand by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, 
Whatever's going on, you got fiery darts coming your way, you better hold up your faith. It might be a small faith, it might be a big faith, but you got to hold up the faith, the shield of faith. It's what distinguishes the fiery darts of the evil one. The sword of the Spirit. And I just realized every night at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm so worn out from all this stuff going on. And here's what I actually go. I know I should put on the armor. I know I should pray this prayer. <sighs> Maybe I'll just read the news. Here are the tools to not give him permission. You're not protected if you don't put on the armor. And I actually, in the back of my mind, think it can't last much longer. As if I'm going to outlast the century-old deceiver through sheer stoicism and willpower. You're not. You've got to stand by not giving him permission, by locking the strongholds and snares and agreements with the full armor of God. So he gives them permission to go into the swine. And as they go into the swine, look what happens next. They, the demons, begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. So what is the abyss? Because these demons would rather go into a pig that gets drowned than go to this place. So I'm going to take two hours of research and give it to you in three minutes. The Bible makes distinctions in the afterlife between Hades, also known as Sheol, the abyss, also known as the bottomless pit, and the lake of fire. So quick summary on the lake of fire. There is currently no one in the lake of fire. Satan doesn't live there. That's the Greek-Roman idea that Hades lives in the lake of fire. Satan's not there. There's nobody in the lake of fire right now. Because no one goes in the lake of fire until they actually go to the great white throne judgment and have a fair trial. That doesn't happen until the end of days. Then based on a fair trial, people are punished. But there's a lake of fire. Now that's different from Hades. Now Hades, or Sheol as it's known, includes both a good side and a bad side. David says, I descended into Sheol, I descended into Hades. Jesus refers to it also as paradise, or Abraham's bosom. He turns to the man on the cross and says, today I will see you, not in heaven, but in paradise, the good side of Sheol, or Hades. Jesus tells a parable one time, it says there's a great gulf separated in Hades, or Sheol, or death, between those on the good side and those on the bad side. There's a gulf separated in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. If you remember, Lazarus and the rich man can sort of see and talk to each other, but can't get to each other. And one's on the, the, the hell side, and one's on the paradise side. And he says, please, just dip your finger into some water and give it to me. Now, once Jesus died, remember, he goes into preach the gospel to the spirits in prison. So Jesus dies, goes, releases everybody in paradise, and takes them directly to heaven. So today, if you die in Christ, to be absent from the body is to immediately be present with the Lord. But there is still this place called death or hell that is a holding tank until such time as you get to the great white throne judgment and get a fair trial for eternity. Then there's one more category, a place called the abyss, also known as the bottomless pit, also known as the Tartarus. This is a holding tank that God has created to hold back and restrict the most evil of demonic spirits. In Genesis chapter 6, you have the Nephilim who are doing horrible things, and so God locks them in the abyss. He locks them in the bottomless pit. 
The word doesn't show up again until this passage here in Luke very often where the demons say, don't lock us up. We want to have mischief here. We'll be good. We'll be good. Don't lock us up with the worst of demons in the abyss. Satan will eventually be thrown into the abyss. During the time of Revelation, third or fourth trumpet or bold judgment, God unlocks the abyss and lets some of the worst of the worst of demonic forces on the earth to reach havoc. At the end of the book of Revelation, Satan is bound for a thousand years in the abyss, in the bottomless pit, into this lockable prison cell. And then eventually, at the end of time, all of that is tossed into the lake of fire. Now here's what I want you to get back to our story. The demons are terrified about going to the abyss. It's not some party in eternity. The stakes could not be higher. And the consequences could not be more severe. That even the demonic forces don't want to go there. And the reason we as a church are so passionate about the Bible, so passionate about Jesus, putting four different services together, two different service designs. Why go through all the work? Because eternity is at stake. And eternity without God even terrifies the demons. And that is why we are so committed to teaching through the Bible and making Jesus raise clearly, creating environments you can invite your friends and you can come and be equipped on how do you share your faith, how do you build relationships, how do you have that urgency of traveling across uh, cultural chasms between what it means to be religious and irreligious to reach people far from God. We had a baptism last week. And it was so exciting to see people who have been around Horizon for 15 years saying, I want to go public to my faith. I am trusting Jesus for heaven. 15 years I've been coming to Horizon. And because of some, some challenge I had in the men's ministry to get baptized, I'm finally getting baptized. And we celebrated together. And then we had people who had been coming for three months and said, God spoke to me for the first time I've ever been to a church. And I heard God speak to me through the message. And, and, and my boyfriend and I, we want to get baptized today. And we celebrated them being baptized together. We had a student in student ministry. We said, because of what God's done through this student ministry here, I want to be baptized because I know for sure Jesus is my rescue for my salvation. And we had children being baptized. And to be a reminder of all the work we do, of all the ways you've served at our church, given financially to the church, sacrificed for the church. And many of you have little sacrifice. Many of you have enormous amounts of sacrifice over the years. It is so worth it. We are rescuing people from a Christless eternity that even the demons shudder to think about. And if you've been coming for a while and sitting in services and absorbing and enjoying it, and you've never served or given or been part of the real community, guys, join us. Don't just come to an 850 service. Build relationships with people far from God. Use our other tools at 10, 11, 10 to invite people because the stakes couldn't be higher. That even the demons shudder to think about what eternity outside of God's presence looks like. If not you, then who? If not here, then where? And if not now, then when? When? 
When will we engage? When will we be part of what God's doing? When will we step out? When we say the time is now? Here's what happens in the passage. Now, a herd of many swine was feeding on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out from the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. It's a place called Gergesa. It's one of the few places where the mountain goes directly into the sea. There's an outpost. I took this picture from the outpost. Looking, here's the sea over here, and here's the cliff going down into the water. Now's the time. Let's not wait. We don't have to wait. Now's the time to deliver this young man. Now's the time to help him. And as he's delivered, and as the pig run down into the water, here's what happens next. Those who fed the pigs ran back to the city, the polis, and they told the people in the polis what had happened in the country. So they went out to see what happened. So everybody from the city moved from the Decapolis, this gigantic, massive Greek-Roman city nearby. They come out to where this occurred. And when they arrived, they found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid because they knew by what means he'd been healed. A greater power was here than the power of their gods. And they looked at this saying, this guy's clothed, this guy's in his right mind, this guy's not bringing chaos to the world, we got to stop this. No, 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 we, we, we need more naked people around Decapolis, that's what we need. We need more people running crazy talk, crazy talk in and out of the caves here in Decapolis. I mean, it's shocking that they are so angered by some shalom or peace being brought into their chaos. And they say, Jesus, get out of here, we don't want your kind. We don't want you here in the Decapolis. Because Jesus has just plundered one of Satan's assets. Let me go back to the beginning of the story. Let's play out all these different pieces and show you how it works. So remember, the disciples began at the Sea of Galilee. Go ahead and play the video. So they began on the west side in Capernaum. They travel across to Kersey, modern-day Kersey, where the cliff leads in, and they built a church right in the location where they found that Jesus met this young man. If you look just over the location where the church is built today, you'll see the caves in the background and the tomb area where that man came out and said, help me. And the demon spoke and said, no, no, we have power over you. You can't have him. Jesus meets with him and is going to deliver them. And they say, well, tell you what, let us go into the pigs rather than the abyss. And here at the Sea of Galilee, with the disciples still watching, is the cliff that goes directly down into the Sea of Galilee. They run into the pigs and they go down. And his incredible deliverance as he's listening to Jesus. And he comes up to Jesus in the boat by the Sea of Galilee and says, please, please take me with you back to Capernaum. This Hellenistic city called the Decapolis has a theater, gymnasium, marketplace nearby. They all come running out. A couple hour walk, maybe half day walk, and they come to this location on this outpost on the other side of the mountain. And they say, get out of here, Jesus. We don't want you here. We don't need you here. We don't want your kind here. And Jesus then, at the Sea of Galilee, tells this demoniac, What? What does he tell him? Join me? Let's get out of this place? No. 
you're not going to believe what Jesus tells him. Look what it says. It's shocking that this young man, surrounded by all this nonsense, and the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gerardines asked him to depart from them. Get out of here. For they were seized with great fear. And then, notice again, he got in the boat. Not they got in the boat. They're already in the boat. And Jesus returns. He goes back. As he's just about to launch off, look what happens. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might return with him. Please, let me go with you, Jesus. But Jesus said to him, no, no, I want you to return, not with me, but to your own house. And tell what great things God has done for you. The best place you can be is in Decapolis. Where people see your life change. Hear your story. See what God has done for you. You don't need to be a theological expert. You don't need to know every answer to every problem about the the solution to problem and evil and, and free choice and not free choice. Every one of us is called to return to your own house. And to simply live your life around people who believe differently from you by doing one thing. Tell people about the great things God has done for you. There's the definition of evangelism. There's the definition of being light and salt. When it's appropriate and not weird. When people ask and it's not forced. Look for opportunities to people who already know you and see you and have seen God work in you and use those opportunities. Pray for opportunities to tell people about the great things God has done for you. See, most churches want to instead pull people out of their environment. Let's go back to Capernaum. Let's have a holy huddle. And churches become a big holy huddle of Christian people doing Christian things and pray for the rapture and pray that we'll get out of here because what a nonsense, what a mess. But the church has been called by the Great Commission not to stay in a holy huddle and have our own little Bible studies just for us, 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 but instead to create relationships, build relationships, learn how to initiate conversation, how to create exploring environments and equipping environments so that we know how to return to our own friends and our own environments and in a natural but compelling way tell people about the great things God has done in our life. So Jesus returns. I think there's a little bit of spiritual symbolism toward what he does after he returned to heaven. He wants to return back here one day and see fruit in our life. There's a lot of things you can give your time and money to. A lot of good things. But are you giving your time and money to things that have spiritual consequences? The work we do as a church, the work we do as individuals is about changing people's eternal destinies. And notice, in the same way Jesus left, he's going to return. In two verses, he's going to return. And he expects results of the way we live our life. Look what happens. He tells the man to return to his own house, and then Jesus, one verse later, returns. So it was that Jesus comes back to the Decapolis later. And when he returned to the man he told to return to Decapolis... He finds not rejection, but he finds a multitude there. Another word for multitude might be a called out group. Another name for called out group might be a church. 
He finds a church there in the Decapolis, and they welcomed him. For they, this church in the Decapolis, were all waiting for him. I don't know if you've met this man. That's Pastor Demoniac. He became the pastor of the first church in Decapolis by simply telling his friends about the great things God has done. So much so that when Jesus returned, he didn't have a seminary degree. He didn't have all the Bible education. He simply told people what God had done for him. And as he did, God used his life, his story, his experience to start a church in enemy territory. And God wants you to do the same. He's not waiting for Pastor Chad or Pastor Doug. You're a saint. You're a priest. And part of what we do as a church is equip you for your ministry. And your ministry of God using you where you live, where you work, to bring light and salt. And today as we finish the service up, I just want to thank God for the great things he's continued to do through you, through our church, through the last few years together in this building. In fact, it was about seven or eight years ago that we were just building this building, and I got on the phone because I was looking for a staff member. And I had a mutual friend who said, hey, here's a number of a guy you ought to call. His name's Doug Daly. So I called Doug not knowing who he was, and Doug says, hey, where, where are you at again? I said, Cincinnati. He says, like Ohio? I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, well, I got family just moved to Ohio. I'd love to, love to maybe pray about this. And so Doug came on staff six and a half years ago, and through men's ministry, through teaching at our equipping service, through marriage seminars, parenting seminars, Doug has been part of building the church here in our Decapolis. But Doug told us about a year ago that he was going to retire coming this end of June. And many of you know a lot of the, the challenges he's been facing the last couple of months. I wanted to let you know that Doug's going to be retiring at the end of June, and he has just been such a a great friend to work with. He's been such a great um, team member and teammate for the great work God's done here. And so we wanted to thank Doug for his service. We wanted to let you know that he's going to be transitioning back to Arkansas to be with his family and extended family for retirement uh, by the end of the, uh, June. We're also going to have a party. Let me show you the details on this. On Sunday, June 24th, right after the service from 3.30, or after the Sunday service, from 3.30 in the afternoon to 5.30, we're going to have refreshments and hors d'oeuvres, a chance to really thank him for the great work that he has done as a church. So Doug loves when people clap for him. He loves to be the center of attention. So let's thank Doug for his great work. Well, we appreciate you, Doug. Thank you for God's work in you. Thank you for how God has used you and what a great um, impact you've had on the kingdom here. So feel free to uh, celebrate Doug, harass Doug, uh, bring attention to Doug. Uh, He'll be here for the next four weeks. Uh, He'll be speaking at the Exploring Service for his last message uh, on June 24th, if you would like to hear him for the last time as well. So thank you all for being here. And I just, again, go forth. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? If not here, then where? See you next week.